Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 13, and the last time the message was titled Doing the Impossible. Actually, if you look at Romans 12 and 13, uh, a lot of times new believers maybe ask a pastor, ask their Christian friends, you know, I, I came up to receive Jesus. I'm, I'm not really sure. Like, what do I do now? How do I live my life? And that's why studying the Word of God is so important. Uh, Romans 12 and 13 really gives us our marching orders. These are their guidelines, their directives from the Lord, and how do we treat each other? How do we treat our family? How do we treat people in the church? How do we treat strangers, hospitality? Uh, how do we treat people that wrong us and hurt us? That's why last Sunday's message was titled, Doing the Impossible. In our flesh, right away, we want to maybe strike back. Uh, but God has different ideas for us because we're representing him. This morning, the message is titled, Responsibility Towards Government. And that's an interesting topic. So we're, we're looking at interpersonal relationships, and then actually we're looking at a relationship that we have where we live, really to be a good citizen. You know, what does that mean? Why does God care? So some questions that I'm going to answer are, and I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning to see why God set up this system of governance. But we'll be asking questions. What is the government? What, why does God care about it? Uh, what is the opposite of government? What is the, the vacuum if there is no government? And are there times, and there are, that God calls us as believers to not stand for something that the government asks us to do? Now, this is a very, very controversial topic. Uh, that's why we're going to hit it from so many angles. We're going to be taking it in two sermons and six parts this morning. Uh, we're going to finish it the next time because it is it's something that we need to understand. Okay. Now, before we jump in, as we've been doing with Romans, the book of Romans, in our tradition in Romans 1 about God's, this is a little aside if you're new to the church, it's God's signature in creation, so pretty much every Sunday I've been coming up here finding another bug, insect is the correct word, um, entomology, and also animals, and just seeing God, how he put his characteristics, he put his um, complexity into nature. Again, Darwin, when he had his theory of evolution, didn't even have the electron microscope. So he didn't have the science to show him that there was more complexity in simple things than he realized. So this morning, we are going to talk about, for a few minutes, the snake. Come on, snakes are cool. <laughs> I like snakes. Snakes have a lot of different qualities. That's a pretty one. <laughs> I asked Pastor Paul, just find me an image of a snake. It's, it's pretty amazing. They have a lot of different qualities. Uh, they don't have arms, they don't have legs, they don't have wings, but they still get along and get around very well. They have highly mobile jaws so they can swallow their prey whole, often a lot bigger than themselves. Uh, they have very strong digestive enzy enzymes, stronger than ours, because we're always told what? Chew your food, <laughs> right? You're going to get sick. Snakes, that's not an issue. They swallow the whole thing and their digestive enzymes work on it. Uh, the pattern, well, they actually have infrared sensors in their snouts to pick up the heat signature of their predator, predators and prey. Uh, they also t 
test the air, they, they smell the air, so to speak, with, they flicker their tongues a lot, and they take samples of the air along with the Jacobson's organ, and that tells their brain, you know, the different scents and the things that are around. Uh, they usually eat smelly food like rodents, so uh, it shouldn't be that hard to pick up. As far as their appearance, they have scales that are overlapping, and they're arranged in such a way that it keeps them pretty much waterproof, but the scales... I didn't realize this until I really studied the snake. The scales actually help them to grip the ground as they're moving. Now, snakes have either solid colors or patterns. And it's fascinating because in both instances, the way they're, they're created is designed to mesmerize their predator and prey. So if you have a solid black snake, the way they move, you could be thinking you're fixated on one point in the snake, and then you see the tail. It's just the way they move. It, they're fascinating creatures. Other snakes have patterns designed to dazzle this, the, you know, the thing or the animal that's watching them as they start to move. Snakes can actually swim. Snakes swim. And they do it in a way that's it's a, it's an undulating uh, pattern that they swim in. And it's, they use this action, they use action-reaction, much like the rocket uses its thrusters to move it from the ground into outer space. Obviously, with the snake, it's a much smaller scale. So they use an undulating pattern and an action-reaction through the water, and they actually make, uh, there's a wake when a snake swims. So these are extremely fascinating creatures. Uh, if they go through sand or slick environments like mud, they use what's called a sidewinder technique. And that, because it's slippery, you know, you, we wouldn't get traction, but they get traction because they use this uh, sidewinder technique, which is a modified roll back and forth, and that's how they're able to get through a very slick, slippery, or uh, no traction type of surface. Isn't that neat? You know, in Genesis, right, God had, you know, the, the serpent was used as a vehicle for Satan to, to do what he did, and he cursed him to the ground. However, he didn't, give this, he didn't do that without giving him the techniques and the ability to get around there was actually uh, one time I was in, we had a vegetable garden, and I was walking, and I have good peripheral vision, and I see this very large object, this large black object. And I look over, and it was a five-and-a-half, six-foot black rat snake. He was beautiful. <laughs> and I just stopped because I didn't, want him, I didn't want to spook him, you know. And I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and I took a picture of him. So, but he was good. He was eating all the bugs and stuff in the garden. Anyway, that's the snake. So we're going to jump into our message for this morning. So we're going to be in Romans 13 in the New Testament. Start with verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, first, one out of six is the Christian responsibility towards governing authorities. Now, it's very important to understand how we got here and how this ended up in the New Testament and how it ended up being written by the Apostle Paul who eventually loses his life under a corrupt emperor, which literally they took his head off. He committed no crimes, did nothing wrong. 
and he lost his life. But this is in God's word. This is why this church is a teaching church, because if you don't study it, you don't know, and it seems could, could con- on the surface could seem contradictory, but it's not. So we have the four phases of governance, right? God created people, and he decided to govern them because they were his children, they were his creation. So before, before the fall, he had regular conversations with the humans that he created. Uh, there was no sin yet, everything was bliss, it was beautiful, and he was a, a father to his children. So that was the first phase. Then sin entered the world and death through sin and all kinds of suffering that we see every day today. When that happened, God still desired to govern his creation, to govern his people. However, there was an estrangement. You know, when sin entered the world, it, it caused a natural um, estrangement or, you know, friction between human beings and God. Remember, he gave us free will. So in phase two, he still wanted to govern his people, especially his chosen people. While the pagans were like, well, we don't want God, we don't care. Well, he thought, well, at least, very least, my people will want me to govern them. We see this conversation in 1 Samuel 8. And we see what happens is as the population of the earth starts to increase and nations are being produced, okay, there's the nation of Israel, right? There was the nation of his own people. And all of Israel's neighbors had kings. And God said, I want to govern you directly. You're my children. But the people said, no, no, no. Look, there's, they have kings. It's kind of cool, the monarchy. So they rejected God. And Samuel goes to God. He's kind of dejected about the whole thing. And God says to Samuel, the prophet, he says, you know, paraphrasing, don't take it so hard. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But just make sure you let them know with kings, right, with presidents, with rulers, with government, I'm paraphrasing here. They're going to spend your money. <laughs> they're going to take your young men and put them into the military. They're going to take your young women and use them in the king's courts. They're going to um, tax you. And boy, was God right. Thousands of years later in New Jersey, that sure is the case. So we're still in phase two. Three, the third phase is what God sees is that with the free will of mankind, man decides he wants God at at an arm's distance. Now, when we become saved, we become believers, we want to make up for that lost time. We want to get closer to God. But as a a society, as a global society, what, what government out there, what globalist, what country is really sold out for the Lord, for God and his ways? It's all about humanistic psychology and what we could do as people to save the planet and save ourselves. So it's still going on today. So phase three, God says in his word that without any type of governance, there's anarchy, there's chaos. So there needs to be governance. Now we're covering this Romans 13 in the New Testament. It doesn't mean it's a perfect system. It means that it's the best system for a fallen creation. Not God's ideal, not what he wants, We kind of brought this upon ourselves. There's a fourth phase that's coming because the Lord said that his kingdom would be coming. God spoke about this in the Old Testament. We covered this in the prophet Isaiah, that the Lord's kingdom will come, the millennial kingdom, where the Lord will rule righteously from Jerusalem and he will govern the entire planet. So the earth will see, both the saved and the unsaved, what it's like to be governed by a a, a righteous God. 
No more, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of discussion. A lot of people leave New Jersey. I have some people that are visiting from Florida. <laughs> They're laughing back there. Uh, people leave New Jersey to get away from the taxes, right? Uh, taxing is one thing, but excessiveness is people can't, they can't survive. So this isn't going to be the situation when the Lord returns, thank God. Um, so verse 1, it says, The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let's turn to Genesis 9, 5 through 6 in the Old Testament. Genesis 9. So, this, the families come off the ark, Noah and his family. And uh, God's like, okay, the waters have receded. We're starting with you again. You know, multiply. The boys had their wives, and it was Noah and his wife. And so there's, I believe there's eight of them. Yeah. So, so basically, they come off the ark, and God makes this covenant with Noah, and he, sa- he says a few things about the population of the earth and how you know nations would be built, and how there couldn't be mass chaos and anarchy. So let's, and I'm going to talk about anarchy a little bit too. It's funny those that kind of preach that stuff today; they don't know what it really looks like. But we'll talk about that. So Genesis nine five through six, it says, surely. For your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So God, this was known as the Noahic Covenant, and among other things, uh, capital punishment was to be instituted for murderers. So God was saying, I made every life special, and if you cross that line and you murder somebody, then your life will be taken. Now, it's in the Noahic Covenant, it's in Romans 13 that we're just, we just read, and it's also in Mosaic Law in many places. Okay? So this is what we have. Now, two out of six is opposite and extreme views on the subject. You have the, and there's, there's two, two extreme groups here, right, that we see on a daily basis or every so often, and I, and I just can think of the when Ted Bundy, the serial killer, he was a, a horrible person. He tortured women, he murdered them, uh, and eventually he, they find him guilty and they're going to uh, take his life, capital punishment. You had a group of Christians, I'm sure well-meaning people with candles and vigils and signs, and saying that this isn't the way of Jesus and that this is wrong, and they're defending this person. Okay, that's, to me, they're conflating Jesus, and we talked about this in the last few Sundays, interpersonal relationships, right, that we're supposed to have, not seek vengeance, love people that wrong us. However, but on a governmental level, they still have the right, a disinterested body, not involved in the crime, to make an objective, this is the way it's supposed to be, an objective decision on how to deal with especially murderers, terrorists, and things like that. So that's the one extreme. The other extreme is uh, shoot everybody up crowd, you know. And both claim to be Christian. Both groups say, you know, we're Christian, we're Christian. Uh, the other crowd is more violent, more bloodlust. Anybody, any infraction, just shoot them, you know. So I believe both of those, based on the scripture, are extreme uh, views. David Guzik wrote, he said, In Romans 12, we see Christians not to seek personal vengeance, but Romans 13 we still see that the government has the authority to punish evildoers. Now, what about war and the Christian? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> when World War II, let's take some of the worst examples, the Nazis, the, uh, the extermination camps, and 
there were Americans who, maybe 18 years old, they just wanted to sign up. They, they knew how horrific it was. They heard about it. They saw the, the pictures, and they wanted to go out over and fight and take out those guards and liberate the Jewish people from the camps, which I think is a notable goal. Actually, there were some pastors and ministers who left their pulpits and went to fight overseas. It was a righteous war. Amen. So you have that one side, which I say they're under the auspices of the government, good for them. You also have in the Pacific Theater, how many saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge? It's a very good movie. Desmond Doss was a Christian, and he said, I'm not picking up a rifle, but I want to serve my country. He trained as a medic. They gave him such a hard time over it, but then he was able to use the conscientious objector status, and he went to the Pacific Theater and uh, he saved uh, probably close to 100 people. That had to be by the Holy Spirit. He just kept going up the, the hill and, and carrying them down. And it just was an incredible movie, but it was a true story. I think that's good too. So he's still serving the government, right? But he's saying, I don't, in my conscience, I can't pull the trigger. So you see two types of things happening here. Um, then the other question would be, what about <laughs> Christians signing up to be a police officer. Well, I was a police officer first, and then I became a Christian. And I'll just show you where my life turned in that I was very good with firearms. I was on the firearms committee to redo the entire department's uh, sidearms, etc. The other ones were getting old and parts were breaking. Uh, I was a sharpshooter. I was good with the long rifle, the, you know, the high-powered rifle, handguns. Um, even before I left the department, I still was able to compete with the younger officers. And they were like, I'm like, I just have a knack for this. So in my mind, I actually wanted to go sign up for SWAT because I'm thinking, hey, that's a notable thing. You know, guys holding the girl hostage, I can, I can take them out. But, the, but when, as I started growing in my walk, there's nothing wrong with that because we need people like that. But the Lord had an idea for me to be a pastor and I didn't know it. So I guess what he didn't want me to do was come up to the pulpit and somebody goes out and says, oh yeah, my pastor, he's very interesting. He had 20 confirmed kills, you know. So, <laughs> so that didn't happen, okay. The Lord had other plans. And that's cool because here I am today and I enjoy what I do. <laughs> Probably more than I would have enjoyed that. So, saving life. Saving souls. Now, basically... The government is supposed to be a disinterested party looking at crime objectively. Back to verse 1, it says, The authority that exists is appointed by God. You notice it didn't say, and I looked up in my Greek lexicon, I always go back into the original languages to make, get a deeper understanding of the word. God, it, God doesn't say in his word that the people that exist are appointed by God. He said the authority that exists. And there's a huge difference. Because there are some people in the government whether it's here or other countries that um, don't belong there, that are not good people, that uh, have a, an agenda, okay? Listen, we're human beings, we're sinners. In every, whether it's the medical field or law enforcement or politics, you've got good and bad, and that's just the way it is. So he doesn't say that the people are appointed by God specifically, but he says the authority that exists is appointed by God. And there's a fundamental difference there. He says, verse 2, resisting the authority resists the ordinance of God. Alternate translation is the arrangement of God. So again, this is God's arrangement. Let's go back to the ideal. For some that, you know, you, 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 maybe there's a lot of stuff in the news and you see there's just a lot of unrest in our country. Let's go back to 
the beginning. God always said throughout the scripture, when you stray away from me, you're going to have problems. And that's a paraphrase. There's going to be evil. There's going to be sin. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be all the things that we see today. Because we, honestly, in American culture, if I was a pastor in Europe or Uganda or China, I would probably be saying the same thing. But I'm a pastor here. Our society is wayward. A lot of people come into the church for the first time and they're like, I've never heard this stuff before. I've got to tell you something. When I was in a denominational church for many years, growing up as a kid, and uh, I, when I started going to a Bible-believing church, I actually thought to myself, I got ripped off all those years. Nobody taught me the Word. I never knew the Word. And here I am, I'm being enlightened, and I, I couldn't get enough of reading the Word. So there's a lot to this. God's ideal is for us to be close to Him. But we have a society largely that's, that's alienated from Him. You know, I meet sometimes younger people, uh, 18s, you know, 18 and above, or teens, and they don't know anything about God. And I'm not saying anything bad about them. They were never taught. So they're going through this life only knowing about their physical um, being, right? Their physical existence. They don't know that there's a whole dynamic that's dormant which is a spiritual existence, a tie to God that they've never been told about or they've been told that we just arrange from a clump of cells and you know all these millions of, of mutations over billions of years make some complex being who can think, reason, and have unphysical re, uh, you know, love relations and, and things like that that they don't really know where that comes from because there's a, there's a spiritual component to it. So it's fascinating. But Pastor Joe, <laughs> even in the United States, we still see corruption. Yes, we do. This reminds the believer that this is not our utopia. You're a student of the Bible. You believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't get too comfortable in this world because this isn't it. This isn't utopia because it's a world marred by sin. And many a society have gone into remote places and tried to make a civilization. Jim Jones did that. That, that turned out disastrous. Um, it doesn't work because you're, you see what I'm saying? So there is no utopia. The Lord desired a theocracy. Now when we hear that word, theocracy, the rule by God, in the news, they don't use words properly. They talk about Iran, the mullahs who are running Iran. That's not a theocracy. A theocracy is where God rules. So this is what he wanted in 1 Samuel 8, but the people largely rejected him. The people chose, instead of being ruled directly by God, autocracy, the rise of Mussolini, the rise of Hitler. People supported those guys and many others in the world, um, the Castro brothers. Or they desired a monarchy. Oh, it's beautiful. Look at the, the chariots and look at the... Really? Do you want to give that much power to one person? But this is, this is the, you know, when you're not tied into God, you, your decisions about spiritual things are always going to be off. So I'll say it again. God is trying to make the best out of the mess that humans made with his creation. And I, I say this a lot. We have a lot of diverse people in this church. We've got some of you that lean Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Fifth Party, Sixth Party. But we all come together and we fellowship, which is a good thing. But understand, it isn't your political party that's going to save you. I don't care which party it is. Everybody looks to this, this next president or the next one after that, that this one's going to be the savior. It's not going to work. 
because you're asking sinful human flesh to, to do this. Again, this is a temporary system. Three, what does the absence of a government look like? By definition, there's a word that's called anarchy. Now, the word anarchy literally means, if you take it apart, and it's a, it's a composite word, a compound word, it means without rule. Movies were made about this. When I was young, when I was really young, there was a, a series called Mad Max. I don't know if anybody saw that. I'm dating myself, right? And it just was, you know, when you're young and you don't know the Lord, you're drawn to violence. And then the next Mad Max came out, and then the next Mad Max. And it was basically a world of anarchy. There was no rule, and it was the strongest that survived. There's actually some movies that came out recently, maybe not too recent, uh, The Purge, right? I'm sure you younger people have heard about it or seen The Purge. One night, everybody gets to just go crazy. There's no police, there's no military, and then, of course, by morning, all order is restored. Yeah, that's, that's an, a nice wish, okay? Uh, but that Hollywood is obsessed with anarchy movies, and sometimes they're glorified, but let me tell you this. It's a foolish, foolish desire, and I see some, sometimes people with the shirts and the anarchy symbol, and here's the ironic thing about young anarchists. They have cell phones. They have iPhones, Starbucks coffee, designer jeans. They have their laptops. They go to malls. Let me tell you something. If there was true anarchy, you would have none of those things. Unless you could grow your own food, dress your own wounds, okay? Have plenty of guns and ammo and a small army of people that lived with you, you're not surviving. This is what anarchy looks like. And anarchy in our culture is being glorified, folks. It's ridiculous, you know? There's no power, there's no computers, there are no iPhones, there's no Starbucks, there's no corporations, there's no 911. The phone's dead. There's nobody there to pick it up on the other line. So we've seen this on a limited basis with governments that collapse. Uh, Venezuela is a very uh, resource-rich country, and then when it's just a horrible situation over there. Women are selling their hair uh, to survive. I mean, people are going through dumpsters, and it's the possible wealth of that country, you know, Cuba, I have some, some people from Cuba, you know, ethnic Cubans. They t- still tell stories about relatives who were there and how they, everybody tried to escape and how they were promised. You know, it just was a destruction of the government for a, a worse government, right? So these things happen. You have to understand that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there is a spirit in our culture that's destructive. You have to study Marxism to understand it. You know, Marxism, in Marxism, you're always looking at the other person, and if they have anything more than you or different, they need to be eradicated. We're seeing this, it's terrible, this division. It's in the media, it's in academia, it's in Hollywood, it's in the political class. People are looking at each other, and you're different from me, therefore you're the enemy. That's dangerous. Because I don't know where this is going to end in the United States if we don't get it together. And as Christians, we're supposed to be the glue of the culture. We're supposed to be the glue of, of the neighborhood. And when I look out here, I see the diversity. I know you. You're, you speak different languages. You look different. You vote differently. And here you are in one place on a Sunday morning Listen to me chatter for 40 minutes. <laughs> so keep that in mind. People are wondering, well, what can I do? What can I do? Can you reach out to somebody? 
Can you be a friend? Can you... I saw a video. It's, it's, it, was, it happened too fast. I, I just was so busy this week of, of a coach. A kid brought a rifle into school. Some of you might have seen it. And he, he tackled the kid and disarmed him. And then he hugged the kid. And people were saying, like, what... You know how many school shootings have been prevented? We only see the ones that actually happen. Good people that intervene, that... They're more concerned about the students and the teachers than their own life, and they go and they do this thing. I mean, that's an incredible, I'm not saying to, to do that. I mean, saying, I, I have training, I probably would do that, but, um, you know, maybe on a different level, maybe on a personal level. Folks, if we're reading the Bible and we're not going home and living it, we're wasting our time on Sunday morning. Amen? Four, humanizing the government. So as you know, I worked for uh, two different police departments. I did 25 years, and then I retired a few years back. And I watched the TV like everybody else, and i got to tell you, when we would see a bad shoot, is what we called it, we would be in briefing, we'd all be in uniform, ready to go out into the cars, and um, after that, somebody would inevitably say, did you see that shooting in South Carolina? And everybody would go, oh, they would all groan. Because we knew that when we went out on the road, everybody else saw that video too. The only good thing about some of these videos is that I believe, and I've seen this over the last decade, that police have become more engaging in the community. They've left their police cars, they've played ball with kids, basketball, football. Uh, I've seen fellow officers take money out of their own pockets to buy a single mom a car seat, to uh, buy an autistic kid uh, Christmas gifts, so I always say that out of bad can come good. I'm going to tell you this. No cop wants to work with a bad cop. This whole the, the, the blue wall nonsense, maybe it's a selfish reason too because that guy's going to get me in trouble. You know, I'm going to go down with him. We had a, an officer, I have to speak in generalities, who he wasn't in my department, but he was in a neighboring department. And all three of our departments, there were three departments that are all contiguous, we all had a problem with this officer because we really felt that he set a bad example. I actually had words with him. <laughs> it was a very interesting encounter. Um, I went to his lieutenant. Eventually, they fired him. And you know what? All the officers, when we would meet together, say, hey, did you hear they got rid of so-and-so? I got to be careful <laughs> with my words because I remember a lot. And everybody was happy that he was gone because we all felt that he was giving the rest of us a bad name. So just for the next few minutes, I want you to see, the, I want to humanize the government, and I want you to see it through my eyes and my career. Because you're going to see things on TV, and then I'm going to tell you what really happened. You know what the, the scariest type of police officer is? A frightened cop. That's not checked by his supervisors. And you see these videos, and I watch dozens of these police videos. There's two officers, they have the drop on somebody, and they're given commands. And one officer shoots and you see the look on the other officer's face, like, almost like, what did you do that for? You see what I'm saying? If that unchecked fear, you know, not indexing the trigger, and this is all law enforcement talk, um, I, I would, when we would go in and serve a warrant, I would make sure that the officer behind me knew what he was doing with his gun because I don't want to get shot in the back. You know what I'm saying? It's very rare. Um, I did some studies, and I found that there were, there's, in the United States are 900,000 federal, local, state, and county police, almost a million uh, law enforcement. And if you look at the, the ratio of how many of them mess up, because we're put through psychological batteries, we're put through all kinds of things. 
the percentage is 0.0001% of them that do the wrong thing. Because when you take the numbers and you boil it down, that's, those, those are pretty good odds. But here's the problem. When an officer makes a mistake, it could be a fatal mistake. And, and I've talked about that too. So I would just say that when you hear the, you know, your first aiders, your fire, your police, you see the lights going, you hear the sirens, take a moment and pray for that person because they're going through something that's probably extremely stressful. I went to a call once, two more, and I'm done with the police stories. I went to a call once, and uh, a guy parked his car. He was being a good Samaritan. He got out on a poorly lit highway, and he moved the barrel out of the roadway. He had a little kid, his son, sitting in the car seat, sleeping in the car. He got hit by a truck. When I got there, he got hit so hard that the only thing holding him together was his skin. Every bone must have been broken. He was deceased. It was very morbid. I had to go through the pockets to find out who this person was that I'm dealing with. I got the, the truck driver who's hysterical crying. I get this guy, and I'm by myself, and I'm you know, waiting for my backup to arrive. We f- I finished the call. We got to find out now who the other parent is for the kid in the car. Um, and this is very common with police officers. I get on the radio. It's either a dispatcher or a supervisor calling me. My car was 922. 922, are you finished yet? You have three calls pending in your district. So I could be sent to another call that's petty. Two neighbors are arguing about a fence six inches on the other person's property, and my mind is still at the call where the guy just got killed. You see what I'm saying? Pray for your police officers. Pray for your military. Pray for your first responders because we can make a mistake in a split second, and it can affect our lives, their lives, all kinds of things. Last story, a little bit humorous. I'll leave it on this note. How many police, how many military within the system? Remember, the government is an entity. It's an arrangement. We read that. But there are human beings in that system, in that entity. Uh, Years ago, I pulled over a lady. She had a warrant for her arrest. I bring her in. And like many times, I would counsel. When I became a Christian, and then I became a pastor, like I was almost doing counseling with them. We give out Bibles. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> so, and I got very crafty about how I gave out Bibles. But in case the ACLU is listening, I'll just leave that general. Uh, so what I would do is counsel people who got caught up in the system. And because of finances, they just couldn't get out of the system. Their license would get suspended. It was just terrible. So I would, I would literally coach them. So this one lady, I realized and I found out she really had no money. And um, there was a lot of other things that I should have written her tickets for, and I didn't. So I said, listen, I'm going to look and let you go. I'm only writing you a ticket for my probable cause, which is an equipment violation. Okay. We had a nosy court administrator who didn't know how to mind her own business. She got my paperwork, and she looked through it. She, she doesn't talk to me, of course. She calls my patrol captain and says, well, Officer DeProsmo should have wrote her five tickets. Why didn't he? Now, remember, quotas are illegal, right? Unfortunately, some people try to find ways around some of those laws. Boy, I hope I don't get a visit from the state police after this sermon. <laughs> so, I'm gonna <laughs> Please don't give this message out to anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's all, all legit. Anyway, so the patrol captain talks to the patrol sergeant who, who liked me. He liked my moxie. And he comes up to me and he goes, Joe D., um, the captain... He, uh, he's ordering me to order you to write her those tickets. I said, okay. 
now for my officers in the in the in the audience you're going to laugh the tickets used to they're now electronic the tickets used to have four copies and the white copy was if i was on a call and i wrote tickets and they were witnesses i could subpoena those witnesses so you know what i subpoenaed the captain and the sergeant and i said sarge when i'm when i go to court and i don't have the heart to be act on behalf of the state and they ask me why I wrote the ticket, I'm going to say, you ordered me. He goes, I'm going to go on the stand and I'm going to say, the captain ordered me. <laughs> captain was furious. Now you know I never got promoted. Okay? <laughs> so if, if you're ever wondering, part of it was I needed Sundays for church. But so I'm, I'm fighting for this lady. I don't even know her. I could get in trouble, right? So wouldn't you know, he, <laughs> the day the, the, the trial came up, we all come into the trial, the tickets disappeared. Isn't that something? Because the captain didn't want to be on the stand and be it on public record. Some people shouldn't get promoted. Uh, he, it's like, why don't you just talk to me? You know? so, but you, but what, what I'm trying to explain to you is, it was cool, the lady got off, um, is that there are people within the system that are really good people, that really do over and above to, to help people. And it wasn't just because I was a Christian. There were guys and gals that, in uniform that I just saw them do things. One more. There was an ordinance, right, when the snow fell. I'm sorry, this is, I'm not going to do this next Sunday. There was, the snow fell, and there's an ordinance that um, you had 24 hours to remove the snow from your sidewalks. So you've got to love these neighbors. They're calling on their neighbors. One lady, she's an elderly woman. And they're sending me out there, and I have to find her. So I said to the lady, I said, you got a snow shovel? She goes, yeah. I said, give it to me. So I, I was shoveling her sidewalk. So they call me on the radio, because I'm I'm, for a long time, I'm shoveling. And I'm like, yeah, 922. They're like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> Nothing. I'll be done in a few minutes. So I'm like, I left, and I'm like, this, the sidewalk's clear. But I wasn't the only one. I'm not patting myself on the back. There are good people. So when we read Romans 13, if, you're, if you have a life of crime and you, you know, you're a gangbanger and you just want to go up and shoot up convenience stores, it's probably not going to end well for you. But I even tell my son because, you know, I even tell my son when he's pulled over, I teach him how to keep his hand on. Don't make any furtive movements. I don't know if you're going to get a nervous police officer who pulls you over. So, I mean, I, I'm a very balanced person. And I say, listen, just be respectful if the officer was wrong, you, could, you have your day in court, right? So we continue with that. that. That's enough with the whole police thing there. But I just wanted you to see through my eyes. The Bible also tells us that the agents of the government, verse 4, is God's minister. Now that's interesting because the word minister in the Greek is diakonos, where we get deacon, and a deacon is a servant. So sometimes people in power and authority don't realize that they are they have no idea they're not even christians that god has ordained that that arrangement and they're in that arrangement they got hired maybe they thought good benefits or whatever but they don't realize they're now in a spiritual position and god will hold them accountable if they do the wrong thing nobody gets away from god's judgment if they do evil and they haven't repented uh, in Daniel chapter 4, there was a man, not just in the Bible, you can look up secular history, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a, a mighty, powerful king of Babylon, and he conquered like nobody's business. But, if, but at some point, God was displeased with him and struck him down 
And he it was, it was for, was it seven years? He ate grass like an ox. He, he almost turned him into a beast. And then when he, re, he got him back to where his position was and he was completely humbled and gave his life to the Lord. So don't, you know, you see what happens in the media, but you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Um, you know, sometimes politicians, um, they, they have so much power and then they just, they die young. And I don't know that this is the reason, but maybe God was saying there's a lot of things that not everybody else knows about, but I do, and he's out. He's done. I gave him a chance. So God sees all. And five out of six, taking advantage of what God offers. In this country, right, in addition to being submissive to the authorities to a certain extent, because I am going to get to the part about where God's word says, no, don't do that, we have freedoms, and we should, as believers, exercise them. We have freedom of speech, we have freedom of assembly, we have freedom of religion. We have rights. We have the right to remain silent. We have the right of an appeal. We have the right to bear arms. When it comes to women, I am very strong on this subject. Because I believe that women should have the right to protect themselves. Actually, we have, I'm not going to point, but we have quite a few women in our fellowship that are martial artists and kicks, kickboxers, so don't mess with the ladies in this church. But, <laughs> but I've been, people have come to me, and it's usually not a, a discussion out in the hallway. It's like, you have that right. You have the right to defend yourself. We went on a call once, and uh, it was, a woman got stabbed to death, and we were going 120 miles an hour to this call. And uh, we, she just had too many holes. We tried to bring her back. And I still remember that from 27 years ago. Um, so I believe in a woman's right to defend herself. There's, a, there's a reasons why I think the way I think. But again, it's, it's allowed under the, under the rules of the, of the system that's set up. We have the right to vote. Christians should vote. In some countries, you can't vote. Vote. Go out there. Make your voice heard. Get involved in your political party. Um, get involved as a Christian, trying to bring some salt and light to that group, regardless of what the group is. You have the right, and I say this to people, and even when it comes to tithing, don't put cash in, in the thing. Um, write a check, because at the end of the year, we'll send you uh, a receipt from the church, and you can use it to write, it off on, write that off on your taxes. There's nothing wrong with that. I know some people say, you know, I don't want my name on it. I don't want to know what the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. But um, the government has given you the right, at least for now, to, if you tithe and give to a charity, for that to come off your taxes. Why not? Take advantage of it. There is no perfect system. Even the Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship when people were trying to falsely accuse him. He would call, he would use that card, his Roman citizenship, to say, I have the right of redress. You can't just condemn me. You know, I have to go through a process. So even in the Roman government, there was a process, right? Eventually, a wicked emperor came in and he did lose his life. But the Apostle Paul was shrewd. Use legally and ethically, use the rights afforded to you by this country. This is a great country. Last point. I'll read uh, two, one more time. 13.2, the last part of it. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So, again, if you run with the wrong crowd, um, 
and you live a life of crime, you have to look over your shoulders a lot. It's right there in the scripture. I know uh, people who have been in uh, crime families, the mob, um, gangs, that became Christians and renounced their former memberships and, and now serve the Lord, which is a good thing. Do what is right, and you will have praise from the same. This is the opposite scenario of a life of crime, being a good citizen. You know, It's a good thing to have a good reputation in your community. I know a lot of business people who they're well-known by the town because they're honest, they don't rip people off, and uh, word gets around. If you want something done, use this person. And as a Christian, that is a great witness, right? Ministering to the community here in Jamesburg. We don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in a church getting political. We just, we'll talk to the police, the chief of police or the mayor, and we'll just say, hey, we want to do this for the community. Hey, we want to give things out for free and just ask if we could use certain places. Like, we don't want, we, we, we don't want political favors. I, I think that's a bad witness for a church. But what we say is, hey, we're here. A lot of times what we do, we give stuff out for free. Can we do this or can we do that? And we've had to get permits we're a church. Get a permit. Go through the governmental process. We were giving out uh, free lunches in the park. I think it was last year. And we had to go through the county and get a permit. No big deal. When I told the lady what we were doing, we said, we don't collect any money. We're, just give, we're feeding people. And she, she sped up the permit process. <laughs> I'm like, so you don't want anything. You're not selling. No, we're not selling anything. We're giving it away. We're giving away food. We just want to help people. She sped up the process for us. You know, we have a good reputation in the community. So we should do that as a church. We should, you know, you, you ever see that weird church, um, Westboro Baptist, they hold up placards. They're so vile. They're just so hateful. They hate soldiers. They hate homosexuals. Like, that's like the opposite. They are such a stain in their community. I don't know what's with these people. There's only 40 of them. And the truth is, they are all interrelated. That's a fact. They all have the same last name. But um, I don't know what's wrong with them. But they're certainly not a good representation of Christ and certainly not a good representation of being good citizens. They're neither. So, responsibility to government or just being a good citizen? Living a good, honest life to be a good witness. Some Christians are, they're always in rebellion, and I don't get that one. Um, They just... They're rebellion rebellion against God, they're rebellion against their parents, they're rebellion against their spouse, their pastor, their church, and that's immature. And I've heard people say, I'm my own man. I'm my own man too. But it takes more strength and courage sometimes to submit and yield than it does to always be right and always be on top. Anybody can do that. I remember as a a young man, as a new believer, um, I had a mentor, an older man, who taught me submission. I didn't like that lesson. I really didn't like that lesson. But he taught me what biblical submission looked like. He taught me about yielding to God, about yielding. We were talking about this at the uh, married couples group last night. You know, when when you even have arguments with your spouse, is it about winning? If you win and you berate your spouse and now you're the champion, what's the next few days going to look like? Right? I know my wife's watching on the live stream. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, it's the truth. I mean, you know, we have an argument. She makes her point. I make my point. We hash it out. And then we're, we're good again. You know? 
We're very passionate people. We're both type A, but it doesn't take long. We don't like spend a week not talking to each other. We get over it quickly and we move on because, you know, we're a, we're a team. We're a partnership. And I tell you, if, if I wasn't mentored by that man, I'd be divorced by now. <laughs> I really would. I'd probably be fired from my job, too. I wouldn't be anywhere. So it's a really good thing to, when, the Lord Je- when, when Jesus calls us to stand down, right? When he taught in, in interpersonal relationships, he goes, you know, if you just do for those that do for you, what good is it? Pagans do that. Jesus says, I expect more from you. And if you can't do it in your flesh, I will help you. I will give you more of the Holy Spirit to achieve that goal. And that's what it's all about. Because we could be a church, we could blend in, in Janesburg, blend in the community, go home, go back to our jobs, and not have any effect on the world. But we're called to be salt and light. And this is part of that, being a good citizen. So please, don't miss the conclusion next time. I am going to keep you in suspense uh, because we're going to talk about when God's word says not to obey the authorities. What does that look like? Aha, and if I do pique any of your curiosity and interest, we're going to talk about the American Revolution. Because there were people, there were pacifists that said we shouldn't shed blood for this, just submit to the king. And there were others that had other ideas and they were also believers. So we're going to talk about what that looked like but I'm not going to do it now. So until then, let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m., On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.